application process for you to be upgraded to confirmed. This means that for you, that you will hold one of the 48 spots in your region that have been placed directly into the Sunday scramble. Holy shit! Your participation in this event as well as the skills combine on Saturday will automatically qualify you for the draft on July 1st. So I'm qualified for the draft? Yeah. Fuck! PG, okay, but that's fine. Huh? <laughs> Good job, baby. Oh, what a shot! Right on. So you guys heard that right. Irene is heading straight for the Sunday Scramble event, which means she is automatically eligible to get drafted into the CNPL. So obviously her resume was awesome. She's pretty much podiumed every tournament she's been in, um, not just podium, but won gold in the majority of the things. Whether it's been mixed playing with me, she's uh, been killing it in singles. Her and her partner, Mai, have been cleaning it up, and she's been steadily moving up the rankings so it does not surprise me at all that her resume got her accepted right into the draft and actually the neat thing right now is if you go onto the cnpl.ca website and scroll down to the committed players list you'll actually have a picture of her on there so that's really awesome i am super proud of her um so like i said june 16th to 18th we're going to be heading down to vernon and uh, so on the Saturday, the 17th, they have the player combine, um, player interviews. And then for me, because I just got my email as well. Now, I'm not going straight into the Sunday uh, draft like Irene is. I still get to do the uh, combine with her. I still get to do the player interviews. But then I have to play in the Saturday play-in scramble. So that's a little mini tournament all on its own on Saturday. And then the top six, or not six, sorry, the top eight male and female players will then get to move on and play in the Sunday draft. So if I play well enough and I finish in the top eight for the men, I will then get to play with her on Sunday. And then I will also be eligible to be drafted. So I got a little bit more work cut out for me. Um, I know the last few tournaments I went to, um, even though I podiumed with Irene in the mixed, my men's doubles and my men's singles for the last couple tournaments I went to, I haven't um, necessarily podiumed, so that's something that uh, my resume was lacking a little bit. So I know I'm going to have to get my, I have my work cut out for me. So we're definitely going to be practicing a lot more. We're going to be going to our club, uh, our club play. We're going to be doing all that other stuff. We do have a tournament coming up at the beginning of June in Spruce Grove that I'm in. That uh, I'll talk a little bit about uh, in the podcast where. We'll get some more practice there. We're playing at 4.0 for both uh, our mix and our indivi individual um, women's doubles and men's doubles. So that'll be some really good practice for us for that. So yeah, so Vernon, June 16th to 18th, Saturday, the Saturday we got the skills combine. We have the player interviews. I have my play-in scramble uh, event. And then hopefully, fingers crossed, I can join Irene on the Sunday where we do the scramble event there. So. In the Scrabble event, there's the West one that's going on that we're going in. There's the East one that's happening a couple weeks prior. So the total number of players, there's roughly 68 
men and 68 women competing for 16 spots for both men and women on the eight teams to get drafted. So Irene is already in the draft, but she still has her work cut out for her because she's got her get herself in the eyes of the owners of the teams, at least in the top 16 women. And then she'll get drafted. Me, like I said, if I can play really well and get myself into the draft, I have to make myself look like one of the top 16 players to get drafted into that. Like I said, fingers crossed we can pull that off. Even if not, though, this is going to be an amazing experience for us. We're going to be playing against really high-level players. People have gotten accepted into these tournaments. Irene, especially if uh, if I don't manage to make it to Sunday, she's going to be playing against players like Kim Layton, um, Christina Chin, all those type of players, uh, those big name players who have already committed to the event. So even if she doesn't get drafted, fingers crossed that she does. Um, it's going to be an amazing experience playing against um, all those players of that high caliber. And the nice thing is it's a scramble event. So you're playing with a different partner every single game to make it fair. So that way it's like not two people who've all played together a lot because obviously they'd have really good chemistry. So um, for each team, four men and four women get selected. Um, not four, sorry. Two men and two women get selected to each of the eight teams. So there's your 16 uh, male and female total. So Irene's got to make herself look good and finish in those top 16. Hopefully I can get myself through the play-in and then also make myself look good to get in the top 16. And who knows, you might be seeing us on uh, the CMPL site in uh, those big tournament events. So fingers crossed. And uh, if we have any more updates on that, I'll let you guys know on the next podcast. If not, we'll uh, see you on the uh, update in June after we're done. Yes, good job. Good hustle. All right, so tournament update for me and Irene. Uh, we are going to be heading to the uh, season opener tournament in Spruce Grove the first weekend of June. Originally, we didn't think we were going to be able to make that tournament uh, due to scheduling, but uh, it meant we had managed to get time open up for it, so we're going to be heading to that. Um, because we got in late, I won't be able to compete in the uh, singles category just because that spot filled up really quick, but I will be competing in... Uh, with Irene in the 4.0 mixed division and then also 4.0 division with um, a, a gentleman who I played with before, Cam, in a in a previous tournament. Irene's going to be playing with her usual partner, Mai, in the uh, women's doubles. And then uh, she's going to be she managed to get into the singles event. Now, interesting enough with this tournament is that instead of regular singles, they're doing skinny singles. It will be the first tournament in Alberta to have skinny singles under the sanctioned uh, rules. So for those of you who aren't sure what the what skinny singles is, so regular singles, if you want to use a tennis comparison, uses the entire court. It uh, plays um, pretty much just like that. Uh, you do singles, um, the single serves across uh, cross court, but then as soon as the return is hit, you can use the entire court um, to play on. Now with skinny, skinny singles, you still serve to the opposite side of the court for the beginning of the match, but then your opponent can only hit to your side of the court that you serve them. So, for example, if you are serving from the right side of your court and your opponent is on to your left but their right, each of you can only hit the ball into that area of the court. So the court is basically cut in half, hence the name skinny singles. 
then when you score a point, your opponent stays where they are and then you move over. So at one point you could be facing each other directly on and just playing in that narrow position. Now, me personally, I like regular singles because it uses the full cord. It allows, it gives me an advantage because I'm a little bit taller. I can use my length. I'm still fairly athletic, so I can use my athletic ability to make up for, say, not necessarily having as much precision as the other person. Skinny singles, there's still a lot of athleticism involved, but it relies a lot more on placement and touch, especially when you're going face on with your opponent. So very, very good for um, some of the older uh, players who don't quite have the mobility anymore, but still want to play singles. It's very good for that. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes during the tournament. Um, the one thing I will say, skinny singles is very good if you want to work on your precision game um, because it forces you to hit cross. It forces you to hit straight on. And once you get up, both players get up to the net, you really have to focus on angles because your opponent could still technically hit it deep and catch that back corner of the cross court shot. So there is a it's a different, almost strategic thing. Whereas in singles, you're looking at um, speed, a little bit of po more power and precision and making your opponent go side to side. Whereas the speed isn't so much in the skinny singles, but still the precision and the um, placement is there. So it'll be really interesting seeing how that tournament goes out. Um, I'm pretty sure Irene is still going to do very well in it. Um, she's playing in the 4.0 category for that. And like I said, it's the first time this has been in a sanctioned tournament in Alberta. So I'm not sure how much practice all of her opponents have had in it. Uh, we do have a few members from our club competing in there as well. I know Chris from our club is competing in the men's side. So we'll be able to watch him and cheer him on as well. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to be interesting. Um, like I said, I didn't manage to get in just because of the spots for that uh, filled up really quickly. So I'll be able to be a spectator for most of the day for those ones. And I'll definitely be able to, uh, when we do the uh, review for that tournament, I'll definitely give you guys a better update on it. So looking forward to that. And hopefully we can come away with some more hardware for that tournament. Wow. Yeah, quick hands for a big man. All right, so for a quick update on some news that has been, I don't know if you follow Pro Pickleball or not uh, in the States right now, but there's been some controversy over what's called uh, delamination in paddles. Um, basically, um, most paddle construction, you have the core in the, in the inside of the paddle, and then you have like the surface covering over it. Um, apparently, this is happening more so in the... Um, what are called the thermoform paddles. So like, for example, the Selkirk Air Power um, power one, like, like what Tyson McGuffin uses. Um, there's a bunch of different ones. I know Carbon's been mentioned, Diamond's been mentioned. Um, basically, these are the ones where um, generally made with the carbon fiber thing. And so like the core is on the inside and it's glued to the um, outer surface of the paddle. And so what's happening is, is the glue on the inside is wearing away, creating a gap between the face of the paddle and the core. So apparently what's happening is, is be when that happens, it allows you to get more pop or more power off the paddle. Now this can be from 
paddle being overused. Um, apparently, um, on the Tyson McGuffin podcast, he mentioned that he noticed it happening to his paddle midway through a tournament. He said it was um, in the morning. Um, it was like a little bit of a colder morning, and apparently weather conditions can affect this. Um, he was playing in the States somewhere nice and warm, so I'm guess I'm guessing that can happen. Um, there's been a lot of pros going online on Twitter and stuff and complaining about it's cheating and stuff like that because it's an unfair advantage. Now, of course... It's more of an unfair advantage in singles because, of course, if you can drive the ball faster in singles, that gives you way more advantage. Whereas in doubles, it's almost more of a liability, but it's also a danger because if you're playing a speed, if you're trying to do a speed up thing, if you can hit that ball with safe, normally when you speed up, um, the example that they gave on like the Tyson McGuffin podcast was like going from 30 kilometers an hour or 30 miles per hour to up to like 55 that's a big jump in speed um, on a on a hip ball. And of course, you've already probably seen if you pay attention to Facebook or any of the other pickleball things, all people having eye injuries, um, getting hit in the face and stuff with that, which nobody wants to see happen. And of course, if there's something wrong with the paddle and it's allowing the speed up to happen, um, there's more obviously a higher chance from risk of injuries. Now, in doubles, aside from that, possible um more injury issue the disadvantage with that is that more likely when you're dinking and stuff you're going to pop the ball up more because the basically the paddle has a bigger pop off of it so the uh so like the issue that's happening is is that basically the paddle basically develops when this delamination happens it's like a springy feeling so almost like the ball hits the paddle it can kind of absorb in just a fraction of a of a fraction of a few centimeters and then pop off the paddle on the on the follow-through because of that little gap that's now between the face of the paddle and the core um the biggest thing with this is that um like i said if you're not following some of the pros on twitter or seeing any of the um of the facebook or youtube posts about it um the biggest thing is is that um players are calling some players are calling out other players for cheating um now for me, that's a bit of a stretch, like unless they're doing it intentionally, like and people are saying, oh, pros are good enough that they can hear the difference of the sound of the pop off the thing. Honestly, um, and like if I if you want to use another podcast example on the Tyson McGuffin show, he said he didn't really notice it right away until midway through the second round of his match. And then he actually switched paddles out because he said he thinks there was something wrong with his paddle. And then I guess the um, the opponent. He still ended up uh, winning his match, but then the opponent says, okay, I'm going to challenge that paddle now. Most of these tournaments that the pros go to, their paddles get checked pre-tournament um, or pre-start of the tournament because they usually have like about two or three on them, I would assume. So I guess the biggest thing with this that most people are complaining about is that there's no, there's no like proper punishment for either the athlete using it or the company developing it, um, prop, at least proper punishment or proper um, regulations put on this um, or proper testing for it. So it's something we can kind of keep an eye on. Like, I don't really have an opinion on it at this point just because it's a new thing and I've never had to deal with that yet. I haven't played that many people who use these type of paddles that this seems to be happening to more of. Um, my pad, the paddle I use isn't one of those types of paddles. Um, 
Irene did use a, um, uh, a gearbox for a while. That is technically one of those type of pals, but we never noticed anything like that happening to it. Um, so something to kind of keep an eye on if you're into listening to like the pickleball news and stuff. And if something new comes up with it, we'll uh, discuss it in more detail. But just something to uh, for you guys to look at and see what's going on with that if you're looking for some, you know, for some drama and stuff on in the pickleball world. Potential gold medal point. All right, so the topic that I had a few people bring up to me was um, dinking, like dinking strategies, uh, different types of dinks you can do, stuff like that. So I'm not going to give a full tutorial on this. There's some way better teachers than me and also some very good videos you can go watch. Um, on YouTube, there's a uh, um, Jordan Briones, I think is how you say his uh, last name. Uh, his uh, tutorials are very, very good. Selkirk has some very good ones with Christina Chin, Tyson McGuffin, Catherine Perrin. So you can also look at the Selkirk actual app where they have the videos on there as well. Um, but I'm just going to kind of go over uh, different ideas and stuff like that that uh, usually work for me while I'm playing. So if we're starting with going cross-court, so for cross-court dinks, um, you want to keep the ball relatively close to the net. That way you avoid popping it up. Once you're comfortable working on spins, there's different spins you can do. You do want to be careful, though, if you're dinking cross-court to someone whose forehand is on the outside of the net. If you put too much spin on it, the ball will tend to bounce, and it opens up the possibility for an ATP attack from them, which kind of leaves your partner hanging out to dry so you want to be careful with that so you want to kind of find that sweet spot that's about two feet ish from the net where the opponent might be able to just reach in and tap it back over but they're not going to be able to get a good swing and get a good speed up with it uh, the other thing to do is don't dink to the same spot every time like it's okay to do that if you're trying to adjust your footwork and trying to reset the point what you want to do is you want to kind of go tight to the net, then maybe a little bit more short into the middle. Get your opponent moving side to side because when their feet are moving, it's a lot more likely for them to make a mistake, pop the ball up, or open themselves up for a speed-up attack from yourself or your partner. Um, one of the things that me and Irene have tried to work on is whichever one of us is on the left side at the time because we're both right-handed, so that forehand is in the middle is trying to go, the person on the right is trying to go tight to the net, get the opponent to kind of either pop it up baseline, which are, allows the, the one of us who's on the left to look at a possible Ernie attempt, or if they come back across, if you get a really good dink shot in and they try to put it back, it tends to float a little bit higher, so it also gives that person on the left-hand side with that forehand in the middle the opportunity to poach and slam that ball down the middle of the court. So if you notice right away that you have one opponent on uh, the other team that's having trouble either with their forehand or their backhand dinks, that's something you want to focus on. You want to start picking on that person because unlike in pickup, you're playing to win. So you're playing for strategy. It's no different than any other sport. For example, like in basketball, if you notice a certain defender is weak, you're going to give the ball to the player that he's guarding so that player can just go to town and score. Same thing in volleyball. If you notice the one person is having um, trouble with serve returns, you're telling your server to hit the ball to them every single time because that's the point. In pickup, it's different. You're just you're trying to keep rallies going. You're trying to work on different things. 
and you don't want to, and when it's just for fun, you don't want to ISO somebody too much and uh, have the one person just kind of sitting there not having fun. Tournament, on the other hand, that is all fair game. Um, we've joked about this with some of the higher level players in our club where it's like, yeah, if we ever play each other, the thing I better not be seeing the uh, ball come to me and stuff like that. So location is one of the biggest things when dinging. Same thing if you're straight on. You don't want to just go straight towards your opponent with your dinks. You want to keep them short, but you want to still try and move that opponent side to side. And you don't want to go too long straight on because sooner or later someone's going to try to speed it up. Now, unless you're the one initiating it and you have to be pretty, you have to make sure you have a good read on where your opponent's paddle is, how quick their hands are before you speed that up. Because you don't want to be that first quick strike and then all of a sudden it comes flying back down at your feet. So location's very important you want to keep the opponents moving side to side because then they're more likely to make mistakes and then there's little um we have this um joke in the club where there's like the red yellow and green zones for speed up so depending on the height of the ball or the height of the bounce that the ball has red zone obviously is very very low um even if you get it over that more than likely if you're speeding up it, the ball is going to sail out so unless you're picking off your opponent in the shoulder or in the chest or they um instinctively swing at the ball even though it's going out you're more than likely not gonna get a good speed up out of that the yellow zone the ball is a little bit higher but the still more likely cause that's going to happen is if your opponent leaves it and lets it fly by it's sailing out or you're hitting it off the top of the net and it's coming right back at you the green zone's that kind of sweet spot where the ball's that perfect height where if you pound it forward, whether it's you're using your backhand or your forehand, you're just clearing the net. So you want it about just like an inch off the top of the net and coming fast at the opponent or coming fast in between the opponents. So they have to react. And because of the height of the ball, most of the time what's going to happen is they're either going to put it right back into the net or they're going to pop it up to you, which leaves it open for a slam finish for you or your partner. So this is one of those things that you do drills to practice on. If you're playing pickup with people, this is what you start looking at when you're just when you're having fun dinking. Don't just let a high dink kind of go go to waste. Like I know we're all trying to be nice and stuff and pick up, but every once in a while, hit that back decently hard at whoever you're playing against. See if you can get a a quick fire match going, this uh, hands competition going because. That's just going to make both of you better. They're going to know that, oh, I shouldn't pop that up. And you're going to see, okay, well, if they if someone pops up like that, where am I putting it? Am I putting it right back at them? Am I putting it down to their left? Am I putting it down to their right? Am I putting it at their feet? So those are little tips and tricks to work at. Like I said, if you want some really good video where they're showing different drills you can do, different shots that you can do, I recommend those ones that I had mentioned earlier. If you just type in pickleball drills on YouTube, there is hundreds and hundreds of video that are on there now. There's one sponsored by Selkirk. There's one sp sponsored by Paddletech, by Gamma, by all the big names that you can think of. They all have pros teaching them or professional pickleball coaches. So I won't need to um, do a video for that because there's plenty of those out there. This is more so from my experience of what's worked for me. Um, like I said, now, because, as I mentioned before in um, in the previous podcast, I am semi-ambidextrous when I play pickleball. So I do work on my backhand a fair bit, but then I also work on my left hand because, when I, especially when I'm on the left-hand side, 
if someone tries to do that tight to the net cut, instead of me having to over overwork my feet to get in the position for a, a, a good backhand return, I can just switch it to my left and dink it over. Now, obviously not everyone can do that. Um, it's just a fluke that I've been able to develop that naturally over the years of um, growing up and playing various sports. Um, so footwork is a big thing, reading the ball off the opponent's paddle, seeing where it's going. Is it high? Is it landing short? Can you reach in and get it out of the air? Do you want to let it bounce first because of your positioning? So all those little things come into effect, and the higher up you get in skill level, the more and more important those things are. Now also when you're playing just for fun in um in pickup and stuff, this is where you want to try these new these new moves that you've either seen on YouTube or you've heard about and want to try because even though you're trying to win at pickup, this is where you get good get good practice, you get to try things and the outcome isn't as important. Whereas tournaments obviously you don't want to be trying something brand new, you want to to have had Practice it and become confident enough that you're doing it more on an instinctive level than just saying, oh, I'm going to try this right now. It's kind of like um, whether it's like pick up basketball, pick up floor hockey. When uh, we were kids and we're trying to um, do a move that we saw a star player do, whether it's like, for example, basketball, like a fancy behind the back pass or behind the back dribble or between the legs dribble, or if it was a hockey move like or a move like where they flip the puck up in the air and they bat it out of the air or trying the Michigan goal. Um, little things like that. So if you see a move that a pro did, a lot of times just look on YouTube and you can find the actual step-by-step -step breakdown on how to do a specific move. There's like hidden dink moves. There's like hidden drives and stuff like that. There's uh, ways to do a lob from like the right from the kitchen area, from back, all that type of thing. So if you're really interested in expanding your repertoire of uh, different moves and different dinks you can do, I highly recommend the uh, instructors that I listed on this one. And then plus there's hundreds of more. There's every big brand name you can think about in pickleball have kind of their own little um, video channel where they have different pros teaching you different little fundamental skills and stuff like that. So definitely something to look at. And if you have any other questions on a specific type of dink, whether it's like a backspin, whether it's a side spin dink, and um, you want me to uh, talk about it, uh, sh shoot me a message on the socials. Um, that's the Gorms1307 on both Instagram and Twitter. And I'll do my best I can, or at least I'll point you in the right direction for the uh, video where they give a good step-by-step -step breakdown for it. All right, so it looks like we'll end the podcast there. Me and Irene have a month to get ready for the Spruce Grove tournament, then a month and two weeks to get ready for that draft qualifier. So gonna have to put some extra work in get uh, i gotta get myself back in a little bit of better shape so that i'm ready for that and then we're gonna definitely have to be drilled and working on our dinking games so like i said if you uh, need any tips or tricks uh go on youtube and look all that stuff up um if you have any questions on which ones are the really good ones you can look at the names that i mentioned in the podcast hit me up on the socials at gorms 1307 that's on Twitter and Instagram, or you can check out the YouTube channel, um, AG Squared Pickleball, where there's some uh, shorts of highlights from me and Irene's gameplay. All right, so work on your dink game, and we'll see you guys next month with an update on the uh, season opener tournament. All right, take care.
Look at that. What a way to end it with an overhead smash. And not just an overhead smash, but a jumping overhead smash by Irene. So Irene and Andrew from East River, Alberta. Gold medalists.